only one kind of faith is biblical saving faith, and that is supernatural faith. The faith that God gives in the new birth, that's the only kind of faith that saves. That kind of faith that we're going to learn about in 1 John. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom begins a 14-part series in 1 John 5. It's titled, The Nature of Saving Faith. It may not surprise you that there are many kinds or types of faith that exist amongst the professing Christian world and even amongst the secular, unbelieving world. On some level, all people have faith in something to one degree or another. So it isn't really a matter of if someone has faith, but rather which faith. Now, according to the Bible, there is only one kind of faith that has eternal significance and value. This kind of faith is supernatural, meaning it originates from God and is sovereignly wrought in the lives of all who repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ. Friend, do you have that kind of faith? Well, Tom, as we begin this study, could you establish for us why it's so important that we as professing Christians have the right kind of faith? You know, Bill, I think it's important to remember that there are several kinds of faith, and not all of them are saving faith. For example, there's natural faith. That's the kind of faith expressed when you sit on a chair or a couch and say, I believe this will hold me up. There's historical faith. That is, you believe in the facts and the history of, of Christianity. There's also temporary faith, a faith that appears for a time to be real saving faith, but, but ends up being a false profession. I hope as we study 1 John 5 together in this series, you're going to see that you must have supernatural faith in order to be saved. That's really the heart of this passage. It has to be the kind of faith that the Holy Spirit alone can produce in the human heart. Thanks, Tom. And friend, let's join our teacher now here on The Word Unleashed. First John, and we begin a new chapter, First John chapter 5, where John is going to explain to us the nature of saving faith. Now, the reason that it's important for us to understand the nature of real saving faith is because there are several kinds of faith in the world attached to Christianity that don't save. Let me say that again. There are kinds of faith even attached to the Christian faith that do not truly save. Let me give you a short list. First of all, there is natural faith that doesn't save. You see, some define saving Christian faith as just what you do every day when when you decide to sit in a chair or when you get on an airplane. Understand that your decision to sit in that chair you're sitting in right now is not faith. Instead, you've watched others sit in those chairs. You have sat in other chairs like them throughout your whole life, and therefore you've discovered that they usually work. That is natural faith. It's simply based on the law of probabilities. That's not saving faith. A second kind of non-saving faith is historical faith. 
intellectually assenting to the facts and accepting what the Bible teaches about Jesus and even the gospel as historically true and accurate isn't saving faith. You can believe everything about Jesus and everything about the gospel in the sense that you believe it's true and not be a believer. If you doubt that, remember what James says in James chapter 2, verse 19. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe that. You understand the demons believe the facts of the gospel? So that is not saving faith. A third kind of non-saving faith is miraculous faith. That is the faith of those who believe solely because of miracles done to or by them. How do I know that's not saving faith? Well, read the Gospel of John. John chapter 2, verse 23. Jesus is responding to those who saw a miracle and, and had some kind of faith, but it wasn't saving faith, and Jesus knew it. In fact, what does Jesus say in Matthew 7? They're going to be those who stand at the judgment and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we, didn't we perform miracles in your name? And he will say to them, I never knew you. So miraculous faith is not saving faith. A fourth kind of non-saving faith is temporary faith. This is an eager initial response to the gospel message that isn't genuine. If you want to see what that looks like, study the parable of the soils that Jesus teaches where two responses to the gospel are temporary and then go away. There's the the rocky heart that has no root and plant springs up, looks like it's the real thing and then it's gone. Same thing is true with the thorny heart where the cares of this life choke out the seed of the gospel so that it bears no fruit. In both cases, there is an immediate emotional response to the gospel that looks real. We all know people like this. It's like, wow, they're they're overwhelmed by the gospel. They're emotional. They're, they're telling everybody else about the gospel. And then you look around, they're gone. What happened? Well, it looked real. But because it was only temporary, it became clear that it wasn't, in fact, real. So those are all non-saving faiths. Listen carefully. Only one kind of faith is biblical saving faith, and that is supernatural faith. The faith that God gives in the new birth, that's the only kind of faith that saves. It's real saving faith, that kind of faith that we're going to learn about in 1 John. Now let me remind you that the theme of 1 John is the tests of eternal life. Chapter 5, verse 13 sets forth this theme clearly. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. There are three tests of eternal life and there are also three movements or cycles in this letter. And each of those movements contains the same three tests. Here's an outline that we're working our way through. We're studying in the third movement or cycle. And we've completed our study of chapter 4, verses 7 to 21, and the tests of love for God and for his people. Today, we come for the last time to the test of faith in Jesus Christ and his gospel. We come to chapter 5, verses 1 to 13. Let's read it together. 1 John 5, verses 1 to 13. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. 
By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the the Spirit and the water and the blood. And the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. The one who believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now the point of this paragraph reduced to a a simple sentence would be this. The one who believes God's testimony about the biblical Jesus and the biblical gospel has been born of God and has eternal life. John teaches us then in these verses about the nature of the faith that saves, that brings eternal life. In fact, the verb believe occurs five times in this paragraph we've just read, and the noun for faith that you see in verse four occurs only here in John's writings. It's interesting, he uses the verb believe a lot, but this is the only time he uses the noun faith. So, this is about saving faith. What do we learn in these verses about saving faith? Let me give you an outline. First of all, in the first half of verse 1, we see the cause of saving faith. The cause of saving faith. Then from the middle of verse 1 down through verse 5, we'll see the results of saving faith. In verses 6 through 12, the object of saving faith. And in verse 13, the assurance of saving faith. So let's begin today by considering the cause of saving faith. And I hate to admit to you, but that's as far as we're going to get today, the first half of verse 1. All right, let's look at it. The cause of saving faith, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Look at it again. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, is born of God. That is an absolutely astounding statement. In fact, in that brief statement, there are, in fact, three massive, absolutely crucial theological insights that we need to understand. First of all, he's going to talk about saving faith. That's the first part of that expression. Then he's going to talk about the new birth as the cause of being a Christian. 
or I should say is the essence of being a Christian. And then finally, he's going to talk about the relationship between faith and the new birth. That in fact, the new birth is the cause of saving faith. So let's walk through these these theological insights that are here in this first sentence, first part of the sentence in verse one. The first theological insight we discover, let's call a summary of saving faith. A summary statement of saving faith. Notice verse one again. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ. That is a a sort of summary statement of what it means to believe in Jesus and the gospel. Let's take it apart. First of all, notice whoever believes. Literally in the Greek text, the one believing. The one believing. John is talking here about an individual exercising true saving faith. It's also interesting to note that the word believes is in the present tense as it normally is. Why is that? Because you don't just believe in the past and become a Christian. A true Christian believes at the moment of salvation and keeps on believing. It's not a one-time event, but a constant lifelong reality. Christians believe. But what exactly is faith? Let's stop for a moment and consider what that word believes really means. Let's look at a definition of faith. In the New Testament, the Greek noun translated faith and its verb form, believe, both occur about 240 times each. This is clearly at the very heart of Christianity. Belief or faith. But what exactly is faith? Well, when we study the various ways the New Testament uses faith and believe, we discover that there are, in fact, three elements of saving faith, three parts of saving faith. They come as a package, but we can sort of take them apart to analyze them. First of all, there is knowledge. There is knowledge. You'll often find the New Testament saying, you must believe that. In other words, there's something some specific factual information you have to believe. This is the foundation of true saving faith. You can't, you can't have true faith without knowing what it is you believe. Faith is not a leap. Faith is instead knowledge of certain facts. It includes knowledge of certain facts. That's why in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul says you must believe that God raised him from the dead. There is specific information that is a part of true faith. Secondly, not only is there knowledge in faith, but there is assent. Assent. In other words, you must be convinced. True faith not only has a knowledge of the facts, but true faith is convinced that what you know from the scripture about Christ and the gospel is in fact true. In other words, you can't, you don't have faith if you know the facts and go, I don't think that's true. I, I think that's you know, mythological, I'm not sure Jesus is God, I'm not sure. No, you have to not only know the facts about Jesus and the gospel, you have to assent that they are in fact true and they're what you need. And then the third part of faith, as you look at the New Testament, is trust. You'll find expressions like believe in or believe into or believe on Christ. This is the heart of faith. This is like Romans 10, 9. You must confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. You see, faith then, when we look at those three parts, faith is knowing the gospel. 
Faith is believing the gospel to be true. And thirdly, faith is personally trusting in, depending on Christ as your Savior, your Lord, as the hope for your forgiveness of sins and your reconciliation with God. That is faith. When you abandon yourself and any hope that you can make yourself right with God and you throw all of your hope and all of your trust and all of your reliance on the person and work of Jesus Christ and you trust in him to save you, that's faith. It's not simply agreeing with a set of doctrines, but trusting in a person. I remember that's how I came to faith. You know, I'd made two professions of faith. I grew up in a Christian home and made two professions of faith Formally, I've made many others, but formally I'd made two, been baptized, quote unquote, twice. But when I, when I was a senior in high school is when this truth dawned on me. Salvation is not in a prayer. It's not in a plan. Salvation is in a person that I have to trust in and follow. John Murray defines faith this way. He says, faith is the whole souled, I love that expression, all of your soul, the whole souled act of loving trust and self-commitment. The whole souled act of loving trust and self-commitment. Here's how John MacArthur and the faculty of the Master's Seminary in Biblical Doctrines defines it. Saving faith is a fundamental commitment of the whole person to the whole Christ. A fundamental commitment of the whole person to the whole Christ. With his mind, heart, and will, the believer embraces Jesus as Savior, Advocate, Provider, Sustainer, Counselor, and Lord God, end quote. But I love that. The fundamental commitment of the whole person to the whole Christ. That's faith. So that's a definition of faith. But But verse 1 also reveals the content of saving faith. What exactly is it that a true Christian believes? Well, John is going to develop this at length later in this paragraph. In fact, verses 6 to 12 are all about the object of saving faith. But for now, just notice his summary in verse 1. Whoever believes that, here's the content aspect, believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Christians believe that Jesus of Nazareth, the person of history, is the Messiah. That is, that he is the one promised in the Hebrew Old Testament, that he is God's anointed. He is the one promised and appointed to spiritually rescue his people from their sins and to do so, according to Isaiah 53, by the substitutionary sacrifice of his own life in their place. John adds another component of this down in verse 5. Notice, who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that, here it is again, that, here's the content, Jesus is the Son of God. Christians believe That Jesus of Nazareth is not only the Messiah, but he is the eternal Son of God made flesh. That he lived a perfect life, that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day, that he ascended into heaven, that he is seated at the right hand of God until his enemies are made his footstool, and that one day he will return again, destroy all evil, establish his kingdom, and then one day 
He will make all things new. He will destroy the present universe and make a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness is at home and those who have believed in him will live with him on that new earth forever. Christians believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the Son of God, and they commit their whole person to that whole Christ. But, listen carefully, although we do believe that, We do not, we cannot believe that on our own. You see, the source of your faith and mine is not us. You didn't believe in Jesus because you're just smarter than the rest of the people on this planet. No, the source of saving faith is God and he gives this faith to us solely as a gift of his grace. This point is made again and again in the scriptures. Let me give you a few examples. Acts 13, 48, as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. As many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Acts 16, 14, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening to Paul. Listen to this. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Acts 18.27 speaks of those who had believed through grace. And of course, the key passage, look at Ephesians chapter 2, a very familiar passage to most believers. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace, by God's unmerited expression of favor, you have been saved through faith. So you've been saved from your sin, you've been forgiven through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. In the end, he's saying here, and I think making the clear point, that faith itself is a gift. So, back to our text in 1 John, he begins, the first theological insight we get in verse 1 is a summary of saving faith. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ. But in verse 1, John gives us a second theological insight, and that is a definition of a true Christian. A definition of a true Christian. Look again at the beginning of verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, notice this, is born of God. Literally is born out of God. Clearly in context, John means this, that a person who believes that Jesus is the Messiah is a true Christian. That means, in John's mind, being born of God defines what it means to be a true Christian. As we've seen before, born of God refers to a person who has experienced what Jesus called the new birth in John 3, or regeneration, as theologians often refer to it. So being born of God, the new birth, being born again, being regenerated, all describe the same reality. But what is it? Again, listen to biblical doctrines. Quote, regeneration is the sovereign act of God by the Holy Spirit and through the preached gospel whereby he instantaneously imparts spiritual life to a sinner bringing him out of spiritual death and into spiritual life. So the new birth or regeneration is when God imparts spiritual life to a sinner in a moment of time, 
taking a person who is dead and making him alive. That's regeneration. That's the new birth. And in verse 1, John says that a true Christian has experienced the new birth. That is such an important reality. If I ask you, how would you define a Christian? What would you say? What makes a person a Christian? I'm afraid there would be, in our auditorium and across the world, there would be a lot of of weak answers to that question. Because the mark of a true Christian is not what we have done, but what God has done to us. Becoming a Christian is not a change of mind, it's a change of heart. It's not merely a decision, it is a transformation. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. A Christian is totally different than he or she was before. Not only that, Christians know that they are different than they were before, and they know that they're different from the people around them. So my question to you is, are you aware of that reality? If you claim to be a Christian, first of all, do you understand that's not because you, you did something. It's because God did something to you. He changed you fundamentally. You are not the person you used to be. You've experienced the new birth. God, the Holy Spirit, changed your heart. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part one of his series, The Nature of Saving Faith. Tom will have part two for you on our next program. Join us then, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Music